Hey everybody, thanks so much for listening to this podcast. I hope it's really helping you grow in the Lord. But I just wanted to take a second just to talk about this great tool that I've been using to bring the Word of God to people. Anchor is a tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast to listening platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and a lot more. So it's really been helping me reach people that I can't go to their house and actually teach them a Bible study. So it's everything you need in the podcast in one place. The best of all, Anchor, and it's totally free. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to the Word Bible Study with Pastor Dan and the family. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. Well, we are about to dive back into the book yeah, of Corinthians. Sounds great. You boys excited about that? Yeah. Yeah. So we're picking it up in chapter 9. So I hope you got your family with you like yes. I do because we're yeah, about to dig into to the Word of God. Yes. Amen. You guys ready? Yeah. All right. Let's start in chapter 9. Am I not free as anyone else? Am I not an apostle? So remember, this is Paul writing to the church of Corinth. Haven't I seen Jesus our Lord with my own eyes? Isn't it because of my work that you belong to the Lord? Even if others think that I am not an apostle, I certainly am to you. You yourselves are proof that I am the Lord's apostle. This is my answer to those who question my authority. Don't we have the right to live in your homes and share your meals? Don't we have the right to bring a believing wife with us? as the other apostles and the Lord's brothers do, and as Peter does? Or is it only Barabbas and I who have to work to support ourselves? What soldier has to pay for his own expenses? What farmer plants a vineyard and doesn't have the right to eat some of its fruit? What shepherd cares for the flock of sheep and isn't allowed to drink some of the milk? Am I expressing merely a human opinion? Or does the law say the same thing? For the law of Moses says you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. Was God thinking only about the oxen when he said this? What do you guys think? You guys think God only cares about the ox or was he writing it about us? Us. Yeah, you're right, Saul. He was writing it about us. Wasn't he actually speaking to us? Yes, it was written for us. So that the one who plows and the one who thrashes the grain might both expect a share of the harvest. Since we have planted spiritual seeds among you, aren't we entitled to the harvest of physical food and drink? If you support others who preach to you, shouldn't we have an even greater right to be supported? But we have never used this right. We would rather put up with anything than to be an obstacle to the good news about Christ. Don't you realize that those who work in the temple get their meals from the offerings brought to the temple? And those who serve at the altar get a share of the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord ordered that those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. Yet I have never used any of these rights. And I am not writing to suggest that I want to start now. In fact, I would rather die than to lose the right to boast about preaching without charge. Yet preaching the good news is not something I can boast about. I am compelled by God to do it. How terrible for me if I didn't preach the good news. 
If I were doing it on my own innovation, I would deserve payment. But I have no choice, for God has given me this sacred trust. What then is my pay? It is the opportunity to preach the good news without charging anyone. That's why I never demand my right when I preach the good news. Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. And when I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under the law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share with their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and to share in its blessing. Isn't that powerful, guys? We should be doing everything we can to win the loss, right? That's how we want to live our life, is that even if we can win one person to Christ, that we do everything in our power to win every single person we come in contact with. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Isn't that cool, guys? He trains himself just like an athlete. That's how we're supposed to live as Christians. We're supposed to train ourselves like athletes every day. Get up, exercise by preaching and teaching and reading the Bible and praying. All of that builds our spiritual muscles so that we're not just shadow boxing. You know what shadow boxing is? That's when you throw in punches, but you're really not fighting anybody. So all you're doing is swinging punches. But when you're really in a boxing match, you're not just boxing a shadow. You're boxing a person. And we as Christians should be training like we're boxing the devil every day. That's powerful. Let's move on to the next chapter, chapter number 10. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them. And all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. He's talking about Israel and Egypt, guys. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food. And all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them. And that rock was Christ. Yet God was not pleased with most of them and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These things happened to warn us so that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, the people celebrate with fasting and drinking 
and they indulge in pagan revelry. And we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them do, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did and then died from snake bites. And don't gamble as some of them did and they were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. Isn't that powerful, guys? So even though we're saved and Jesus died for us, we should still be careful to follow him, right? That's what he's saying. The children in the Israel, they they ate from the manna from heaven and they drank the water from the rock. But some of them still died in the wilderness and never made it to the promised land. So just because we're, we're baptized in the blood of Jesus and we're filled with the Holy Ghost, we still should be careful to walk in the ways of God so that we can end up in the promised land, right? That's powerful. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptation in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. You hear that? So everything we go through in our life, nothing's going to be hard enough for you not to be able to say no to it. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So my dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. You are reasonable people. Decide for yourself if what I say is true. When we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat from the one loaf of bread, showing that we are the one body. Think about the people of Israel. Weren't they united by eating and sacrificing at the altar? What am I trying to say? Am I saying that food offered to idols has some significance? Or that the idols are real gods? No, not at all. I am saying that these sacrifices are offered to demons, not to God. And I don't want you participating with demons. You hear that? He's saying that false gods on this earth, that what people think are real gods, are actually demons. And we should stay away from them, right? You cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and from the cup of demons too. You cannot eat at the Lord's table and at the table of demons too. What? Do we dare rouse the Lord's jealousy? Do you think we are stronger than he is? You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You hear that, guys? That's powerful. You, can, you say you're allowed to do anything in Christ, but not everything is good for you. You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. You hear that, guys? That is so good. We shouldn't worry about our own lives as Christians. We should be worried about people's lives around us, right? Right. Don't worry about what you can get. Worry about what you can give to somebody else. That is so good. So you may eat any meat that is sold in the marketplace. You believe that, right, Saul? What's your favorite kind of meat? Steak. You can eat any meat that is sold in the marketplace without raising question of conscience. 
for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If someone who isn't a believer asks you home for dinner, accept the invitation if you want to. Eat whatever is offered to you without raising question of conscience. But suppose someone tells you this meat is offered to an idol, then don't eat it. Out of consideration for the conscience of the one who told you, it might not be a matter of conscience for you, but it is for the other person. For why should my freedom be limited by what someone else thinks? If I thank God for the food and enjoy it, why should I be contemned for eating it? So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Don't give offense to Jew or Gentiles, or the church of God. I too try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others, so that many may be saved. And you should imitate me, just as I imitate Christ. That's who we want to be like. We want to be just like Jesus, right? All right, chapter 11. I am so glad that you always keep me in your thoughts and that you are following the teachings I have passed on to you. But there is one thing I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. A man dishonors his head if he covers his head while praying or prophesying. But a woman dishonors her head if she prays or prophesies without a covering on her head. Now, what did he just say her covering was, boys? The head of every woman is man. The head of every man is Christ. So that means I better be under Christ's authority and do everything that Christ tells me. And woman should be under man and while he's following Christ, yeah. so that way we're Whether all under Christ's authority. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? Whether it's her husband or her pastor or her father. And it says we shouldn't pray or prophesy if we're not in this line of authority. But a woman dishonors her head if she prays or prophesies without covering her head. For this is the same as shaving her head. Yes, if she refuses to wear a head covering, she should cut off all her hair but since it is shameful for a woman to have her hair cut or her head shaved she should wear a covering a man should not wear anything on his head when worshiping for man is made in god's image and reflects god's glory the woman reflects man's glory for the first man didn't come from woman but the first woman came from man and man was not made for woman but woman was made for the man for this reason, and because of the angels are watching, a woman should wear a covering on her head to show that she is under authority. So what that means is women should obey and submit to their husband as an authority figure of Christ. And a husband should only submit to Christ. He shouldn't submit to anyone else. No other man should tell him what to do. He should listen directly to Christ. And no one else should tell a woman what to do other than her husband. Because the angels are watching. And the angels know what happens when, a, when they don't follow authority. Right. They get judged severely. And we don't want to be like them, right? I don't want to be judged. Amen. But among the Lord's people, women are not independent of men. And men are not independent of women. For although the first woman came from man, 
Every other man was born from a woman, and everything comes from God. Judge for yourself. Is it right for a woman to pray to God in public without covering her head? Isn't it obvious that it's disgraceful for a man to have long hair? And isn't long hair a woman's pride and joy? For it has been given to her as a covering. But if anyone wants to argue about this, I simply say that we have no other custom than this, and neither do God's other churches. But in the following instruction, I cannot praise you, for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. First I hear that there are divisions among you, and when you meet as a church, and to some extent I believe it, but of course there must be divisions among you, so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. When you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. For I pass on to you what I receive from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink. What's he talking about here, guys? Um, the offering church. What's it called? Yeah, communion. communion. When we drink the wine and we eat the bread to remember Jesus Christ, right? Yeah. He's talking about it right here. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. That's why we do it, guys. And listen to what he says here. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. And if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have died. Because they didn't realize that by taking the body and the blood on them, they were actually accepting Christ's body into their body. You guys hear that? Yeah. Think about that. He says, if you eat or drink the blood and the body without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. And that is why you are weak and sick and some have died. So that means if you eat and drink it, honoring the body of Christ, you won't be weak, sick, or die. That's what he's saying. We can receive healing by understanding that we're actually accepting God's body when we do communion. But if we examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. See, he's saying it. We won't be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. 
So my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. If you are really hungry, eat at home so you won't bring judgment upon yourselves when you meet together. I'll give you instructions about the other matters when I arrive. Chapter 12. All right, so this chapter is all going to be about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the spiritual gifts that we get when we're filled with the Holy Ghost. So let's start it off. Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. You know that when you are still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives the message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and the other ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person, he gives the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. So you guys understand that? That sometimes you have people who prophesy, you have people who do healing. You know how you have people in the church that have these gifts? You guys have seen that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's what this is talking about. It's the spirit that gives us those abilities. So when someone's performing miracles, it's not just because they're a cool person. It's the same Holy Ghost in them that's performing that miracle is the same Holy Ghost in you. So it doesn't matter like who the person is. It just matters that we all have the spirit in us and God will give us the gifts that we need so that we can perform the work that God has for our life. So that's what this whole chapter is telling us is that when we when there's things that we need to do in our life, it's the Holy Ghost that's going to empower us to do it. You need to know what's going to happen in the future. The Holy Ghost will prophesy to you. If you need healing in your body, the Holy Ghost will heal your body. And you need to be in tune with the Spirit. Yeah, we got to be in tune with the Spirit so that we can work in the gifts of the Spirit. Amen. The human body has many parts. But the many parts make up one whole body. So he's talking about the whole church here, guys. So it, it is so it is with the body of Christ. Some of us were Jews, some were Gentiles, some were slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by the one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not part of the body because I am not the hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? 
if the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? That's good, guys. Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. That's important, guys. Everybody's got a role to play in the church. God has special plans for you boys in the church. And everyone listening to this, we all have a role to play. We we need our body parts, right? Right. Nobody wants to be missing any body parts. I wouldn't want to lose an eye or an ear or a hand or a foot. I use all of those, right? The enemy would like to tell us, look, you can't do what they do. But if we're in tune with the spirit, God says, but I've given you a specific job. Pay attention to that job and do it. Right. Well, let's go back to reading now. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but there are only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the hand can never say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require the special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members, so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers... All the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First, there are apostles. Second, there are prophets. Third, there are teachers. Then there are those who do miracles. Then there are those who have the gift of healing. And there are those who can help others those who have the gift of leadership, and those who speak in unknown tongues. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power of miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts So notice now, he didn't say that you couldn't have these gifts because he already said we could have any of these gifts. And he tells us here that we should desire the most helpful gifts. What he's saying is we don't, as a body member, we don't need to have all of the gifts. We can all together form the body of Christ. I need to desire gifts. You need to desire gifts. And when we all have special gifts, we come together and form a more harmonized body, right? That's good, guys. But now, let me show you a way of life that is best of all. Now we're going to go to the next chapter. Isn't that cool how he ended that chapter like that? He's like, let me show you the best thing. And guess what the next chapter is all about? Chapter 13 is all about love. You guys ready for this? This, we used to read this every week in our church, and I think it helped everybody in our church act more loving. And that's what God wants. That's why we're going to read it today, and hopefully we'll all start acting a lot more loving in our own lives. If I could speak all of the languages of earth and of angels, 
but I don't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. You guys hear that? That's powerful. You could do all these great things for God, but you don't love anybody, you're nothing. If I, ha- if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, and I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Because love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. That's powerful. When we're loving, we shouldn't be demanding to get what we want. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. That means if someone's done something bad to you, if you're really loving, you won't remember it. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It is always hopeful and it endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. I malfunctioned there for a minute. <laughs> Prophecies and unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love lasts forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only a part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and responded as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now I see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then... We will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. These three things will last forever, guys. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. That's the greatest thing that we can do as Christians, right, guys? Because... God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son, right? Mm-hmm. So we show our love back to God. All right, so let's move on to the next chapter, chapter 14, which is all about tongues and prophecy. This is a good one, guys. This is all about speaking in tongues. And Saul, you know what that's like, right? Yep. You just spoke in tongues this past year, didn't you? Yep. Did you? Did you just say something crazy, or did the Holy Ghost take over your mouth and speak through you? Uh, second one. Yeah, isn't that crazy how it just starts speaking out of you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to read about that. But we're going to read about more than just filling, getting filled with the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues the first time. Now we're going to learn about the actual gift of tongues. Because there's a couple different forms of speaking in tongues, and we're going to learn about them here. So let love, this is starting in verse 1, let love be your highest goal. But you should also desire special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God. So you hear that? When we speak in tongues, we're talking directly to God. 
since people won't be able to understand you. You will be speaking by the power of the Spirit. That's important. That's why it's important that we speak in tongues. People use this scripture to try and tell us that we shouldn't speak in tongues. But it says here, it is the power of the Spirit. But it will all be mysterious, which is not a bad thing. It's good that it's mysterious. But one who prophesies strengthens others. So he's not saying one's bad and one's good. He's saying they're both good. He's saying, but we can use this gift to actually strengthen others, encourage them, and comfort them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. So when you speak in tongues, Saul, we're strengthening our spirit. That's why we speak in tongues every service. We speak in tongues when we can. Why not? It strengthens us. But one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. So both things are good. I wish you could all speak in tongues. Hear that? We all should speak in tongues. But even more, so another level, is I wish that you could all prophesy. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues, unless someone interprets what you say so that the whole church will be strengthened. So he's saying it is better to prophesy. But again, he, he kept saying it's a good thing to speak in tongues. So dear brothers and sisters, if I should come to you speaking in an unknown language, how would that help you? But if I bring you a revelation or a special knowledge or prophecy or teaching, that will be helpful. Even lifeless instruments like the flute or the harp must play a note clearly or no one will recognize the melody. And if the bugler doesn't sound a clear call, how will the soldiers know that they are being called to battle? It is the same for you. If you speak to people in words they don't understand, how will they know what you are saying? You might as well be talking in empty space. So again here, he's saying if we're talking to other people, we should talk in the language they understand, right? Yeah. But again, that doesn't mean we shouldn't strengthen ourselves by speaking in tongues all the time. We should strengthen ourselves, and when we speak to other people, speak in a language they understand. There are many different languages in the world, and every language has meaning. But if I don't understand the language, I will be a foreigner to someone who speaks it. And the one who speaks it will be a foreigner to me. And in the same is true for you. Since you are so eager to have the special abilities the Spirit gives, seek those that will strengthen the whole church. So anyone who speaks in tongues should pray also for the ability to interpret what is being said. So he's saying, if you're speaking in tongues, pray for prophecy too, because you can do that too. But again, he's never saying here that we shouldn't, and he's going to emphasize that here in a second. For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, and I don't understand what I'm saying. So that's a good thing. Well then, what should I do? I will pray in the spirit, and I will also pray in words I understand. You hear, guys? I will sing in the spirit, and I will also sing words I understand. For if you praise God only in the spirit, how can those who don't understand you praise God along with you? How can they join with you in giving thanks when they don't understand what you're saying? You will be giving thanks very well, but it won't strengthen the people who hear you. So again, you'll be giving thanks to God if you're speaking in tongues, but no one will be able to understand you. So when you're by yourself... We speak in tongues. When we're with people, we speak clearly. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. This is Paul writing. 
He says, I'm so glad that I speak in tongues. But in a church meeting, I would rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. Dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Be innocent as babes when it comes to evil, but be mature in understanding matters of this kind. It is written in the scriptures, I will speak to my own people through strange languages and through the lips of the foreigners, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So you see that speaking in tongues is a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. And prophecy, however, is for the benefit of the believers, not unbelievers. Even so, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting and hear someone speaking in an unknown language, they will think you are crazy. And how many of us are crazy for Jesus? Yes, we are. But again, we don't want to scare people off when they come to church. But if all of you are prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meetings, they will be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. So they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed, and they will fall to their knees and worship God, declaring, God, it's truly here among you. So again, he's saying it's powerful to prophesy, and we should, we should want the gifts that are going to win the loss to God. So now he's going to tell us about worship. Well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, another will tell something special revelation God has given, one will speak in tongues, and another will interpret what is said. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you. No more than two or three should speak in tongues. They should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret what they say. But if no one is present, who can interpret? They must be silent in your church meetings and speak in tongues to God privately. So again, he's telling us about how to have church services because Corinthians was a wild bunch, guys. They were like wild heathens, and they got saved, and God loved them, but when they got into church, they were kind of being crazy. So that's why Paul was writing this to them, to get them to settle down, have order and structure in the church, but not to deny the power of the Holy Ghost. Let What, babe? To be unified in the spirit yeah. when you come to church, to strengthen the whole body, but strengthen yourselves in your own altar. Amen. That's good. Yeah, when we're called together, we're there to unify and strengthen each other. Let two or three people prophesy and let the others evaluate what is said. But if someone is prophesying and another person receives a revelation from God, the one who is speaking must stop. In this way, all who prophesy will have a turn to speak one after the other so that everyone will learn and be encouraged. Remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. Women should be silent during church meetings. It is not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive, just as the law says. If they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church meetings. Now again, he was writing that to Corinthians, guys, because they used to set on separate sides of the church, and there was a lot of chaos. There was a lot of reasons why, too. We, 
we don't even we don't even really understand a lot of the problems with Corinthians. So when some stuff is said to the Corinthians, we have to leave that for the Corinthians. Not that we're not going to rebel against the Bible. We believe this and we teach this. But the main point of this is that we have order and discipline in our church. Or do you think God's word originated with you Corinthians? Wow, he's putting that point home. Are you the only ones to whom it was given? If you claim to be a prophet or think you are spiritual, you should recognize that what I am saying is a command from the Lord himself. But if you do not recognize this, you yourself will not be recognized. So my dear brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and don't forbid speaking in tongues. Boy, a lot of churches need to hear that, don't they? Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but be sure that everything is done properly and in order. I believe the Holy Ghost put that in there for a reason, guys. Because they have twisted the scripture to tell us that we can't speak in tongues. And right there at the end, he states it all. This whole thing is made so that we have order and proper order in the church. And that's what we need. But we should never forbid speaking in tongues. That is us uniting our bodies with Christ. That's important. All right, let's move on to chapter number 15. And this chapter is all about the resurrection of Christ. Let me now remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures say. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures say. So you guys hear? That is the good news. The good news is that Christ came, he died, and was raised from the dead. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him, for I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I am not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. But whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me, and not without results. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles. Yet it was not I, but God, who was working through me by his grace. So it makes no difference whether I preach or they preach. For we all preach the same message you have already believed. Now he's going to talk about the resurrection of the dead, guys. We believe in that, right? Yes, we do. We better. But tell me this. Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying that there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless. And your faith is useless. But we apostles would all be lying about God. 
For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave, but that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone else in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of the great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through one man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised from the dead first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. After that, the end will come, and he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For the scriptures say, God has put all things under his authority. Of course, when it says all things under his authority, it doesn't include God himself, who gave Christ his authority. Then when all things are under his authority, the Son will put himself under God's authority, so that God, who gave his Son authority over all things, will be utterly supreme over everything, everywhere. If the dead will not be raised... What point is there to people being baptized for those who are dead? Why do it unless the dead will someday rise again? For why should we ourselves risk our lives hour by hour? For I swear, dear brothers and sisters, that I face death daily. This is as certain as my pride in what Christ Jesus our Lord has done for you. And what value is there in fighting wild beasts, these people of emphasis, if there will be no resurrection from the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, let's feast and drink for tomorrow we die. Don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. Think carefully about what is right and stop sinning. For to your shame I say that some of you don't know God at all. But someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? What a foolish question. When you put a seed in the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it first dies. And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you're planting. Then God gives it the new body that he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. Similarly, There are different kinds of flesh, one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish, and there are also bodies in the heavens and bodies on the earth. The glory of the heavenly bodies is different from the glory of the earthly bodies. The sun has one kind of glory, while the moon and stars each have another kind, and even the stars differ from each other in their glory. It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, 
but they will be raised to life forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried in natural human bodies, and they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. The scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body, then the spiritual body comes later. That's awesome, guys. He's talking about how we got our bodies on earth now, but when we die, we'll have spiritual bodies. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like earthly man, and heavenly people are just like the heavenly man. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. And when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to life forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scriptures will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Man, that's a powerful chapter. And now we come to the final chapter, guys. Chapter 16. That's, that means this is the final chapter, so he's just going to be saying goodbye to a bunch of names and I'm going to have a hard time to pronounce. <laughs> so here we go. Now regarding your question about the money being collected for the people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave you to the churches in Galatia. On that first day of the week, you should each put aside a portion of money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. When I come, I will write letters of recommendation for the messengers you choose to deliver the gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems appropriate for me to go along, they can travel with me. I am coming to visit you after I have been to Macedonia, for I am planning to travel through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay a while with you, probably all winter. And then you can send me on my way to my next destination. This time I don't want to make just a short visit and then go right on. I want to come and stay a while, if the Lord will let me. In the meantime, I will be staying here in emphasis until the festival of Pentecost. There is a wide open door for a great work here, although many oppose me. When Timothy comes, don't intimidate him. He is doing the Lord's work just as I am. 
Don't let anyone treat him with contempt. Send him on his way with your blessing. When he returns to me, I expect him to come with the other believers. Now, about our brother Apollos, I urged him to visit you with the other believers, but he was not willing to go right now. He will see you later when he has the opportunity. Be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. And do everything with love. You know that Stephanus and his household were the first of the harvest of the believers in Greece. And they are spending their lives in service to God's people. I urge you, dear brothers and sisters, to submit to them and others like them who serve with such devotion. I am very glad that Stephanus, Fortunaeus, and Achaeus have come here. They have been providing the help you weren't here to give me. They have been a wonderful encouragement to me, as they have been to you. You must show your appreciation to all who serve well. The churches here in the province of Asia send greetings in the Lord, as do Aquila and Priscilla and all the others who gather in the home of the church meetings. All the brothers and sisters here send greetings to you. Greet each other with a sacred kiss. Here is my greeting in my own handwriting, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, that person is cursed. Our Lord, come. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now we have finished the book of 1 Corinthians. Yay! It is finished. Yeah! All right, well, how about we go to prayer, everybody? Amen. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and join me in prayer today. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this time in your word, God, and learning about how a church that's chaotic can be placed in order through the following the Holy Spirit. Let us continue, Lord, to grow in the gifts of the Spirit and practice them in our churches, and let this be buried in our heart, God, that it be a foundation of our faith and our doctrine and our principles in our life, God. We worship you and thank you and ask you to bless everyone who's listened today with us and that's going to continue to study your word with us. We worship you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining us. We love you. And until next time, God bless. See ya. See ya.